Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, the death toll of the magnitude 7.6 earthquake in central Japan has reached over 60, while relief efforts are being hampered by damaged roads. The second highest ranking official of Hamas is dead after an explosion in Beirut, and former U.S. President Donald Trump has appealed Maine's decision to disqualify him from the state's primary ballot. We start in Asia. Relief efforts are underway in Japan following the magnitude 7.6 earthquake that struck on New Year's Day. The number of dead has risen above 60. Damaged roads have hampered relief efforts, but Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says sea routes have opened to allow the delivery of aid. The region on Japan's west coast is expecting more tremors and bad weather. Patrick Falk tells us more. One of the things that the Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has talked about is not wanting the events at Haneda Airport to disrupt rescue operations, and he's reiterated that there is a race against time to save lives. That's because there are still many, many people trapped beneath the rubble of collapsed buildings. Just to give you an idea of what that might look like, in the town of Suzu, one of the hardest-hit areas, it's a town of around 5,000. Households. We're told that 90% of homes have been destroyed. So you can imagine just how many people are still waiting to be rescued. It's difficult to say just how much success、uh, rescue teams here are having in building roads and reopening expressways and so on and so forth to reach some of these hard-hit areas.、Uh, the prime minister has said that that is. A focus right now,、uh, but you know, one of the things that weather forecasters are saying is that there is rain expected, and Japan's meteorological agency has said that even light rain could trigger landslides because of the impact of the earthquake on the terrain. So that is something that is likely to make rescue efforts even harder. That was Patrick Falk reporting from Tokyo. In South Korea, the country's opposition leader Lee Jae-myeon is recovering in intensive care at hospital in Seoul after a knife-wielding man stabbed him in the neck in Busan. Lee received emergency treatment at a local hospital before undergoing surgery in Seoul. The suspect is in custody, and police are investigating the incident. Jack Barton has more. Police still investigating what the motive of this man would be. They know his identity now. They're only calling him Kim by his family name. They know he's 66 years old.、Uh, the court down in Busan has issued an,、uh, a search warrant, and no mention yet of mental health issues. But of course, one must assume、uh, that as part of this, they'll be checking into the man's mental health、uh, as perhaps part of the motive. We've had very much a sense of unity.、Uh, this is probably the only time where. Had such unity from all of the political parties, from President Yoon Song Yeol and rivals,、uh, all really coming on board, saying, describing it as an act of terror for a start, and the prosecutor's office has also described it as such a, an act of terrorism against a political party, and、uh, really condemning this and saying something ought to be done about it. The president, 
already saying that measures will be taken to beef up protection for politicians. There were 50 officers on site, uh, but they were managing crowd control. Remember, we had the big Halloween stampede crush last year. So crowd control is really a big focus for police these days and also the traffic, but not for personal protection. President Yoon also already ordering a big review into that process. The Democratic Party also backing that review. That was Jack Barton in Seoul. In China, the Chinese government says it is working with Thailand on reciprocal visa waiver policies that is expected to take effect in March. A foreign ministry spokesperson says the visa exemption will boost people-to-people exchanges between the two countries. Thailand has been aiming to attract Chinese tourists after the lifting of COVID restrictions. China was Thailand's largest source of tourists before the pandemic. Data from Thailand's National Travel Bureau shows that travelers from the Chinese mainland made more than 9 million trips in the first seven months of 2019, contributing nearly 9 billion U.S. dollars in revenue. Thailand offered a five-month visa waiver per program for Chinese travelers starting September last year. Martin Lowe in the tourist resort Phuket tells us about its significance. This is a big deal here in Thailand, a country that relies very heavily on tourism income for its economy and attracting back here Chinese visitors is its number one priority. Now at the moment, Chinese visitors can already come here visa-free, but it was only for the current high season. Now a really early test of this uh, new freer policy, it's Chinese New Year. Traditionally, thousands and thousands of Chinese people come to Thailand for Chinese New Year. It's a short five-hour flight and this will be a good indication for both sides as to whether this new policy is starting to work. Another big deal of of this new arrangement is, is that it will strengthen the Thai passport. At the moment, the Thai passport is only seen as medium strength because that means a number of countries, many countries, demand visas on top. But gaining uh, visa-free entry to a big and important nation like China will do a lot to strengthen uh, the Thai passport in in the eyes of the international community. Also, finally, um, uh, waiving this restriction is expected to see the number of visitors from Thailand to China also to increase quite a lot. And early estimates say that they think that the number of uh, outbound tourists from Thailand to China should go up by anything between 10 and 30 percent. That was Martin Lowe on the visa-free policy between China and Thailand. Turning to the Middle East, Hamas chief Ismail Haniya has mourned the militant group's deputy leader who died in an attack in Beirut. Haniye called the killing of Saleh Arori a terrorist act and a violation of Lebanon's sovereignty and an expansion of Israel's hostility against the Palestinians. Protesters in the West Bank took to the streets vowing revenge. Lebanon's state-run media attributed the explosion in Beirut on an Israeli drone strike. The Israeli military has declined to comment. Hezbollah leader Syed Hassan Nasrallah has vowed to retaliate against any Israeli targeting of Palestinian officials in Lebanon. Associated Press correspondent Isabel Debris reports from Jerusalem. 
The deputy leader of Hamas has been killed in what appeared to be an attack in the southern suburbs of Beirut, the Lebanese capital. Suspicion immediately fell on Israel, which has targeted Salah al-Ruri in the past many times and also has threatened to kill Hamas leaders wherever they may be. That's actually a quote from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in November as he spoke on this issue. As we do know, many Hamas leaders are in the Gaza Strip, but also many political leaders are outside of the Gaza Strip, living in Lebanon, Turkey, Qatar, because that is important they say, for liaising with foreign officials. We do know that Saleh al was in Lebanon. He was deputy leader to second-in-command to Ismail Haniya, the political leader of Hamas, but also was in charge of military operations in the occupied West Bank. And the fact that Israel has targeted him on Lebanese soil has produced shock and fear in Lebanon. It also has produced fears of retaliation by Hezbollah and also perhaps another blow for Hamas as it struggles to defend itself against Israel's campaign in Gaza. So we've been seeing that the t- tensions are reverberating. The Israeli military has not commented on the strike. It has only said that it is ready for all scenarios, alluding to fears of a retaliation. That was Isabel Debris with the Associated Press. In North America, former U.S. President Donald Trump has appealed Maine's decision to disqualify him from the state's Republican presidential primary ballot. Secretary of State Sheena Bellows concluded that Trump is ineligible for holding office at the White House because of his role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol in early 2021. Lawyers for the former president argued that the decision by top electoral officials in Maine was based on bias and a lack of due process. The Republican frontrunner was also banned in Colorado. Voting for this year's presidential election begins in Iowa this month. Owen Faircloth takes a look at Trump's chaotic campaign. Can Donald Trump still run as a candidate in Colorado even after its historic decision to disqualify him from the ballot? The state Supreme Court ruled that the former president isn't constitutionally eligible to run due to his role in the January the 6th insurrection. Trump engaged in that insurrection. But the ruling isn't as straightforward as that not least for Colorado's top election official. This is a case that has taken lots of of twists and turns. We have expected an appeal from the former president. Colorado's Republican Party has appealed that decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, while Trump is also expected to file his own appeal. So Colorado's ruling has been effectively postponed until this Thursday, the day before the deadline to be on the ballot for Colorado's March 5th primary, when voters choose their Republican presidential candidate. I certify the names onto the ballot uh, for the presidential primary this Friday. Uh, And so we we do hope that the court understands that presidential primaries are rapidly approaching and gives us a definitive answer whether or not the former president is disqualified from the ballot. So if the Supreme Court declines to take Trump's case or rules in his favor before the first ballots for overseas voters are printed, his name will still be on them. But if the Supreme Court rules after that, those dispatched later for domestic mail or in-person voting might not include Trump, leaving Colorado with two different ballots. That complex scenario is shaping a potentially chaotic presidential election. Trump has also been disqualified in Maine, while there are similar cases pending in around 10 states, with another six having dismissed attempts to stop Trump running. That was Owen Faircloth on Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Finally, in Europe, 
The talk of a general election is set to dominate UK politics over the coming months. The government has a deadline of next January to hold the vote. But after years of political turmoil in Westminster, the opposition Labour Party holds a commanding lead in their opinion polls. Paul Hawkins has the details. At the start of 2023, Rishi Sunak made five promises. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt, cut waiting lists, and stop the boats. Twelve months on, only one of those promises has been met: inflation halved. Although critics are divided over how much credit the government should get. Migrants are still attempting the dangerous journey across the English Channel from France. When will, when will you stop the boat? Uh, well, we're What's the date for that? well, the first thing to say is the numbers this year are down by a third. They're still the second highest, but when? What is yeah, the date? Uh, well, the, there isn't a firm date on this because I've always but been clear said, from the beginning. You I said, said you're going to stop the boat, so I just want to know. And we will keep is. going until we do. Okay. This is not one of these things where there's a precise date. Compared to January, waiting lists for treatment on the National Health Service are now higher. So too, the national debt, while the economy is stagnant. Zakir Starmer, a former barrister and former head of public prosecutions, father of two, and if the polls are right, the next UK Prime Minister. Something he could only dream of after the 2019 general election gave Labour, led by socialist Jeremy Corbyn, their worst defeat since 1935. Corbyn, It's over, Mr. Corbyn. That paved the way for Starmer to become leader, and three and a half years later, he's dragged it back towards the centre, where some experts say elections are won and lost. Domestically, an incoming Labour government faces the same huge problem. With taxes and borrowing sky high, how to grow the economy so public services get the investment they need? The defining purpose of the next Labour government, the mission that stands above all others, will be raising Britain's productivity growth. A goal that, for my Labour Party, will become an obsession. Internationally, Starmer's already been hanging out with world leaders, but. Don't expect any big foreign policy changes from a Labour-led UK. On the Ukraine-Russia and Israel-Palestine conflicts, Keir Starmer has stuck closely to the government's line, even though resisting calls for a ceasefire initially meant losing some of his shadow cabinet. As in any time of grave crisis, it is crucial that this House speaks with one voice in condemnation of terror, in support for Israel in its time of agony. The party says its number one priority will be improving UK-EU trade and relations, but that doesn't mean reopening the Brexit debate. Rishi Sunak will decide when the election is held within the next 12 months, but a year is a long time in politics. What do you want for Christmas? What do I want for Christmas? Yes. Oh gosh, I haven't really thought about that actually. I'd like to have a day off. He may well get it this year. That was Paul Hawkins reporting. Recapping today's headlines: The death toll of the magnitude 7.6 earthquake in central Japan has reached over 60, while relief efforts are being hampered by damaged roads. The second highest-ranking official of Hamas is dead after an explosion in Beirut, and former U.S. President Donald Trump has appealed Maine's decision to disqualify him from the state's primary ballot. 
And that's it for this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.